Welcome to the Weekly Benefit Roast, featuring Benefit Indemnity Corporation's President, Roger Bain. Roger has devoted more than 30 years to understanding and developing innovative health benefits plans for large groups and groups as small as five employees. Our moderator is Bob Graham. Take it away, Bob. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is Roger Bain at Benefit Indemnity Corporation. Bob is out of jury duty this week, so I'm going to take over as facilitator and co-speaker here on today's Benefit Roast. So thank you all for coming and joining us. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking during our Benefit Roast sessions about myths of self-funding and all the different types of misconceptions that have come up. Um, and I see uh, we, we've still got a flow of people coming into the webinar, so I'm going to repeat the housekeeping for just a moment. For those of you that are out there, you'll know that you are muted. Uh, we can't hear you just because often we get background noise from too many offices going on and it's very difficult to hear. So you're muted, but you can raise your hand. You'll see on your screen on your controls a little opportunity to click your hand icon or even just click the question icon and, and type in a question for us. We, we welcome your questions. We'd like to have them and sometimes we can even unmute you and allow you to, to speak if you'd like to ask a question that way. So just let us know and we'll come back to you. If you have any challenges on any of that, the chat box is also pretty easy to find. You can always send us a message in the chat box that we can see. So however you'd like to manage your controls is entirely up to you. So thank you very much. And I think uh, most of the people either are in or should have been in by now. So we're going to go on with the program and, and kind of get back into where we were. So we we're talking about all these myths and the misconceptions. And this week we brought Dan Single, a senior consultant, in to, to hear some of our review and discussion. And then he's going to add some experience from the field. And we'll kind of get to that in a few minutes. But just to recap, if you remember, as we talk about these myths of self-funding, Let's go up here to your screen. You should now see our slides, and we'll talk about just that. As we get through that discussion, we hear all of these different types of issues that are out there. And in the first week, we talked about the discussion of I can't run my business and a health plan at the same time. So self-funding and owning your own health benefit plan just sounded so foreign to some employers because they don't fully understand and grasp, grasp what it means and therefore they grapple with that lack of understanding and, and ultimately turn another direction. Or they think they can't afford the exposure of paying for my own benefits because the term self-funding in and of itself can be very intimidating to someone that doesn't understand the full meaning of what the alternate risk industry does for them and really helps in that scenario. And then ultimately, the third myth that we talked about is I can't qualify for better rates. And sometimes that's just saying this sounds too good to be true, or it's a reiteration often of what they've been taught by their broker about the ACA and how everyone must be treated the same, et cetera, et cetera. And so we kind of went through a lot of discussion in the last three weeks over these types of myths. And then we're going to ask Dan if he's got any additional, and then we're going to kind of review these and look for your input and questions from out there in the world as well. So let's talk for a moment about the the discussion that we had. You know, they worry about running a health plan on their own. So we talked about TPA services. When they talk about the affording of the risk and the exposure of funding your own benefits, obviously we talked about specific stop loss coverage and aggregate stop loss coverage, terminal liability or extended claims liability or, or extended claims settlement options and ways to handle 
covering all of that risk and making sure that all of that is done. And then we talked about employee benefits liability coverage, which is not something I sell because I'm not licensed in the property and casualty market, but it is an important thing uh, that you should talk to your property and casualty agent about because I think every group, fully insured or self-funded, if they have employees, they should have employee benefits liability if they provide a single benefit, uh, just because it's not that expensive and it's really important. And then ultimately we talked in the next one, they talked about, you know, I can't qualify for better rates or why should I deserve better rates? Or this sounds too good to be true. How could this be possible? And we talked about knowing your group. Now, keep in mind these discussions that we had were almost an hour each. So I'm, I'm doing a real abbreviated shortcut of them for now. If anybody has to, would like to raise their hand or, or call out a question, we can kind of flesh it out again. A little bit more detail but when we talked about knowing your group we really talked about understanding the composite of your group the risk assessment knowing what kind of health conditions knowing your average age for example your your, your gender composition number of dependents I, I mean even something as simple as knowing the number of families in childbearing years is always an issue in looking at the cost of your health benefits but then we could go even deeper than that talking about ongoing conditions, conditions that are lifestyle related, conditions that are critical or urgent, all kinds of different things you can learn by doing a proper group risk assessment and gaining a report on that can be very valuable. So you have to know your group first before you get into that. So when we talk about this overall, that's really what we wanna, wanna get into and, and talk about those things. So Dan, while we're here and we're talking about these things, you've been in the field as we said, for 14 years, and I've been a little less in the field, a little bit more behind the desk for my last five years. So I'm going to ask you, are, are there additional myths that you hear from the employers or brokers that you deal with that we should all get clarified and understand? Hi, Roger. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, yeah, I think one of the things that I hear quite often actually is um, we, we often think that this is kind of a niche sort of thing, what self-funding is. Um, I'm sure you've heard that in the past. The bottom line is the majority of uh, employers out there are getting their benefits from a self-funded plan. So I think the last statistics we saw is about 65, 67% of those uh, that are in an employer-sponsored plan are getting those benefits through a self-funded plan. You're not gonna see that quite as much in the small group market. That's certainly something that we're always working to change, try to get more small groups access to these types of solutions. Uh, but I think that's a big one right there. So what you're saying is that there's a whole lot of small employers that don't realize that they can take advantage of all the same types of cost controls and money-saving ideas that the largest of groups do in, in self-funding their plans. Yes, that's absolutely right. Uh, the The opportunities and the capabilities of the different carriers out there uh, that are able to provide solutions is bigger than it's really ever been. Um, we're always, you know, looking at the the government is always trying to create mandates and do things, try to help with uh, with health insurance and health care. But I think what we find is these market solutions are really the ones that are driving the best savings and additional advantages that self-funding does provide. Hey, Dan, Bob's got a question up on screen um, asking, he says, what do you mean that that 65% of people are covered by plans like this? I don't know anybody in my local chamber that, that has this type of thing. So we're, we're gonna address that question a little bit. Um, I'd imagine 
Bob, and you can comment in your chat box back if you like, but I would imagine you're dealing in the small group arena where as employers at large across the country, I think Dan's statistic is right on the mark that that of all of the American workers covered by an employer, nearly 65% of them are covered by self-funded plans in the last statistic I've seen. So that means, and that might be weighted a little bit, you know, like he said, small groups, not as often, but overall, because we have large employers like General Motors that might have hundreds of thousands of employees and, and, and the big tech giants and those, that they're all in self-funded plans. So I think that's kind of the point. You may not have heard of it because you don't realize fully yet that we can, in fact, drive the same types of strategies and benefits that the largest of groups use down into a smaller group segment and maybe be very effective. Would you agree, Dan? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the some of the studies that we uh, have looked at, they show that 95% of employers with a thousand employees or more are self-funded. The majority of groups that have over 200 employees are self-funded. So really, in the small group arena, that's kind of the last final frontier. Um, I still work with a lot of brokers that don't really know too much about self-funding. You know, that's probably the funnest part of my job is getting them excited about a new a new solution that they have available. So when you say brokers don't know about self-funding, I mean, that seems kind of crazy to me. I mean, so I've been doing self-funded for 32 years and you would think if you're in the health insurance business, you're gonna have a, a, an awareness of self-funding at least. Uh, how deep is that awareness in the brokerage community? Well, yeah, I'm kind of amazed by that as well. Uh, I think that's a very interesting sort of phenomenon. Um, I think a lot of brokers, you know, you brought up that slide, uh, that talked about some of the objections that you would hear. Um, I think you get that out of the broker community as well. And I think just comes down to education and making sure people get a level of comfort with it. Most of those brokers that do finally get comfortable with it, they go back and they use that strategy more often. Um, so I think that's a really a big part of it there. So Dan, if we have these misconceptions out there and they're that common in the broker's eyes, as well as in the employer's eyes. And in fact, if they're that common in the broker's eyes, they're probably even greater misconceptions or, or lack of knowledge in the employer's eyes because they rely on those brokers to get them the information. What do you see as the, the best way to overcome that and get this education into the hands of the employer? Well, I think we do a whole lot of outreach, um, doing things like like this benefit roast. I think that's certainly very, very important is breaking down those barriers uh, and getting people that greater level of understanding, um, you know, the continuing education that we do and all the things that we do to try to just drive greater awareness and, uh, and knowledge and education. I think that's really important. Um, other than that, it really comes down to converting those brokers to understanding this is a viable solution. It's not a niche product. Uh, and it's just something that in the small group market, we really need to, to get it out to the community so they can take advantage of this stuff. Um, we've got a question on the screen from Richard. And Richard's suggesting that he doesn't think self-funded really works unless the group is over a couple of hundred lives. Uh, and we've seen that kind of concern from the brokerage communi community over the years, but I haven't seen that in quite some time. What, what are your thoughts on that from your work in the field, Dan? Well, yeah, certainly the we're talking about the money and the scope of the money. Uh, but the, uh, I mean, if you're a four or five person employee, 
uh, employer group, then it can help save you money. Um, we've self-funded down to three before. Uh, the, the, and we've got, you know, those people been on the plan for a very, very long time. Um, and if you look at self-funded plans historically across the industry, you're usually looking year over year about 90% retention or close to it, which is a lot better than the insured market at large. So, yeah, I mean, if it, it works for big groups, it works for small groups. It's just a matter of scaling it and letting them take advantage of the same thing that the larger groups do. Well, but but when we talk about scaling it, I think what, what everyone needs to, to know is that when we're scaling down to smaller and smaller employers, we're scaling up the amount of protection that they're buying. So, and I think we talked about that in the second week when we talked about the employer not being able to afford. So as we address that second week of these myths in self-funded, uh, we, we talked about how you use insurance to offset that risk. And so in a self-funded plan, you're still buying plenty of insurance. You're just buying in a different way and protecting a different party in, in order to provide benefits to those employees. And I guess maybe that's what gets a little more complex and sometimes confusing to others out in the field is who's buying insurance for what. Yeah, we do hear that quite often. That we talk about the number of players that are involved, that sort of thing. Um, but I think something that I like seeing, and we get to experience this quite a bit, is those employers who've been self-funded for two, three, four years, they really do kind of gain a level more intense level of understanding of how their plan works, which helps them no matter if they're fully insured or self-funded. They get more engaged. They've got more information available to them when they are self-funded to make good decisions on benefits, to control costs and outcomes. Um, so I think there's a lot of advantages to be had there as well. You, you talked a minute, Dan, about the number of players and Jane is online saying, well, how do we find these self-funded players? Because we can't find many insurance carriers anymore. Uh, in the health insurance markets. Since the Obamacare or ACA uh, has passed, there's been such a change in that. So how does the platform change? If you only have two or three fully insured options in your state, uh, are your self-funded options just as limited? No, actually, since the passage of PAPACA, there's been a lot of insurance carriers that have gotten into the uh, the self-funded market, particularly for small group. So you'll see these um, hybridized self-funded plans uh, that provide a lot of the same advantages, um, and they're very easy entrance points, and they do the same good job that everybody else does. I think one of the things that's an issue is when you're looking at the smallest of groups, underwriters for stop-loss carriers do have some trouble trying to determine that risk and figure out how to price that. So, I mean, that's part of our job is vetting those different options and trying to make sure that we've got the best solutions available. Okay, and so from recent days, what, what our experience would be is that there's actually more self-funded options available to small employers than there are fully insured options. Is that a valid statement? Well, yeah, I think uh, last count we're down to what, in Maryland, three carriers um, for fully insured. So, uh, you know, we've, right now I can think off the top of my head, five different self-funded options that we can present to clients down to five enrolled. Okay, so if there was one major message and I know this is kind of putting you on the spot to try and come up with that, but if there's one major message that you really had to deliver 
to employers. I mean, I know we have a number of brokers online as well as employers, but for for everybody involved, as we deliver this message to employers and to brokers, and brokers to employers, what would be the the single biggest message you would deliver on on overcoming these misconceptions and making sure everybody understands the value of what a self-funded plan can do for them? Well, actually, that's pretty easy. I think the main point that I try to convey to clients when I'm meeting with them and, and having joint calls with brokers is really that self-funding may work for your group. It may not. I'm sure you guys have talked about already these uh, the, the risk analysis and making sure that um, you're the proper risk for self-funding. Um, but not every group can self-fund, but every employer deserves to know if they should be self-funded and getting those tools in their, their hands is vitally important. So basically what you're saying for an employer doing a benefit strategy, knowledge is power, right? So, so that's a real key item. And I, I agree with you in that respect. That's pretty important stuff. Are there any other myths, Dan, that you see that you stumble over out there in the marketplace or real misconceptions about what this means and how it works? I was just thinking about that. I think there's a, a, a term that we often hear when we're talking to clients uh, and it's almost cliche. It's like we've been burned before or we heard of someone being burned before, which you really have to kind of unpeel that because uh, a lot of times what you just find is, you know, this group ended up with some poor risk. They had to move back to the fully insured market that they were trying to escape in the first place, but nobody was hurt. Nobody was harmed, that sort of thing. So sometimes you got to peel through those things to help uh, decipher that. Well, you know, that's a really good point. And I think what's what's valuable to know about that is that these myths and these misconceptions about self-funding lead to that kind of confusion where somebody thinks they got burned because they didn't know something about a self-funded plan because maybe the broker didn't know it or maybe the carrier rep didn't know it and, and then went out and sold a plan without knowing all the intricate details of, of how these things work. And I, and I guess that's where this educational process is valuable to everybody. Um, anything else that you've seen out there, Dan? Well, yeah, there is one big thing that we tend to hear, um, which uh, I think it, it makes us cringe every time we hear it, uh, but people will say that, uh, oh, this plan is just like a fully insured plan. Um, and uh, self-funding is, a is while it looks, walks, talks, and feels on a daily basis, a lot like a fully insured plan, the way small group plans are run, it's not fully insured. If it was fully insured or like fully insured in any way, then you would not be able to take advantage of the things that you can take advantage of here. Um, so I think it's really important to define the difference and make sure that they understand very well what's going on. Um, we, I, I do work with brokers that sometimes they wanna be apologists about the term self-funded. They wanna avoid the term self-funded. Quite often, I'm saying it right up front, I do not apologize about the fact that these are self-funded plans. Oh, Gary. Uh, Gary has a question here. He says, what is the difference between self-funded plans and fully insured plans? Uh, let me take that one for a second, Dan, because I think we talked about this in week one. So, Gary, I'm sorry you didn't make the uh, few weeks ago, but that's why we're here to keep reviewing this stuff. Um, really, the key element of difference between a self-funded plan and a fully insured plan is who makes the promise to pay benefits to the employees. And in a self-funded world, the employer makes that promise instead of relying on the insurance company to do that. 
the employer makes the promise to pay benefits. And then he goes out and buys insurance to protect himself rather than buying insurance to protect his employees. So there's still plenty of insurance, but there's a real key element of difference in that because under federal law, ERISA says that an employer who is providing benefits to his employees with his own revenue is not in the business to be in insurance. So he's not deemed to be in the insurance business. That's what they call the deemer clause in ERISA. If you ever hear that term, that's what that's about. The deemer clause means that you're not deemed to be in the business of insurance and therefore the state can't regulate your benefits to your employees. So they're subject under a federal regulation still, but not under state regulation. The state can regulate insurance, which means they can look at stop loss policies and stop loss insurance and they can regulate on that level, but they cannot regulate to the extent that they would actually govern your benefit plan and how you run it and what you do with it. So there's some real interesting things in that perspective, and that's what lends such great value to the self-funded, the creativity, the innovation, and the, the fleet of foot factor, where we can move innovation into health plans so much faster than anywhere else. Dan, anything else for us? I think the idea of the risk, I think that's really important, worth talking about. I, I saw that on one of your slides there. I mean, let's face it, as soon as you as, an, as a, an employer decide to get into the benefits world and offer benefits, whether it's insured or whether it's self-funded, you're taking on a huge risk. There's a lot of risk legally. There's a lot of risk from a compliance standpoint, liability from potentially making mistakes or missing things, not putting people on when you needed to, not taking people off when you needed to. And that doesn't matter if you're fully insured or self-funded. So the risk that we see with self-funded plans when we already show the funding of that when we're going through our presentation that can get broken down you know that barrier can get broken down pretty quickly um but that liability insurance that you talked about i think that's certainly important um and uh i, I think that's something that's vital that you talk about when you're discussing this stuff right and that is for those that are licensed to sell property in casualty again we're not endorsing or selling it guys we're just telling you that it's something you should be aware of because we're not licensed to sell that piece of the coverage but it's really important stuff um and one thing that i think is important though you, you mentioned that some of the issues like forgetting to enroll an employee or, or failing to take an employee off and they're not really that big of a deal and fully insured well, they might be a little bit bigger deal in self-funded but even in the fully insured world if you collect employee premium and then forget to send his app into the carrier, you're not gonna have coverage for that guy. <laughs> and, and if you don't get it in in time, you might not get an exception and you might not be able to get him covered until an open enrollment period, but yet you as an employer have already promised him coverage and done payroll deduction. So in that event, if you can't get him on the exchange, you know, the real question is who's gonna cover that employee's claims if they happen? Even in the fully insured world, I think you have a lot of exposure in providing benefits and compliance burdens are even bigger nowadays, but you have to provide benefits in order to compete and keep the best employees on staff and, and to make everyone run like they should in running a business. So it's a very interesting dilemma. We have challenges and I guess what we're saying is we're here to overcome those challenges and make it as easy as possible, as flexible as possible. But just as much as anything as cost effective as possible and i think that's where we come into this whole discussion of self-funding i see another question on the screen from jerry jerry wants to know if there's really any value in the employer getting 
all this information about the medical composition of his group and even claims that happen in the group. I mean, once he's covered, he's covered, right? Different employers take different approaches to that. A lot of them will certainly just let things happen as they may uh, and let the years go by uh, and, and that's it. Uh, but we do have a lot of employers that also really start looking at claims. They start looking at prescription utilization, uh, where uh, people are going for their services and really trying to figure out ways that they can help create more cost-effective um, decisions uh, that are a better value for their clients. Um, so uh, yeah, I think that it's real important that they have that information. They need to have the ability to, um, to analyze that and they should have a good broker and a good team behind them that can help them make sense of all of that. Great. Well, thank you very much, Dan. I don't see any other questions on screen. Uh, so I'm going to kind of wrap up and make a last call. If there are any other questions, guys, please feel free to ask them. But please take a note on the last slide. Uh, and Dana may actually send it out to you in a link in your chat box. There it is. So in your chat box is a link. If you click on that link and fill out the form, we will send you that $5 coupon that we've been promising you for a cup of coffee for joining us. And so you have a cup of coffee at your desk next time on us. So I want to thank you all for coming. Again, it's benefit indemnity. But most importantly, if you have any questions, remember, my name is Roger Bain. I'm at 443-275-7412. That's 443-275-7412. If you have any questions at all, that's the direct line to my desk. We'd be happy to answer your questions. If you need a broker, we can refer you to one. If you are a broker and you need more options, feel free to give us a call, but make sure you fill out that little form because uh, we got fancy little coupons to be sending out to you any day now. Thank you very much, everyone. Appreciate your time today. Have a great day. Talk to you next week. You've been listening to The Benefit Roast, a weekly discussion sponsored by Benefit Indemnity Corporation. Employers in a wide range of fields are using employer-owned health benefits plans to deliver better benefits to their employees at a lower cost. Learn more at BenefitIndemnity.co. That's BenefitIndemnity.co. See you again next week.